I love a good mystery, and so does everyone else. In fact, everyone loves a good family mystery, especially one with as many twists and turns as June's Journey. I know that our listeners will absolutely love this game because you are uncovering the mystery of June's sister's murder, and you're becoming a detective. You're looking for clues, and each scene will lead you to a new thrilling storyline. This is a great way to engage your observation skills to uncover key pieces of information that lead you on to many chapters of mystery, danger, and romance. Right now, I'm in the process of interviewing family members, and this is bringing me back, just so you know, to my days in law enforcement, and I'm having such a blast with it because it is so much more lighthearted, but it also has the mystery of where will this take me? You can even chat and play with or against other players by joining a detective club. You'll even get the chance to play in a detective league to put your skills to the test. Megan, I think we should join a detective club together. We've got this. (laughs) Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. June needs your help, detective. Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. The Hargan women seemed to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing. But detectives would soon discover... Inside the house, there were the bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. I am just praying to God this is a sick joke. From 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings, wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast may contain content that is graphic and disturbing in nature. Listener discretion is advised. This is Episode 5, The Sheila Davalu Story. Hi, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Women and Crime. Today's case is one I recently encountered, and it is the story of a woman who is either a savage murderer or, as she says, a woman guilty of a vicious crime, just not murder. Hi, Amy. Hi, Megan. So glad to see you. And of course, I'm excited about my case as we both do get this like, (laughs) yes, yes. Uh, This case was not on my original list, but... I saw an episode of, believe it or not, Snapped and became really interested. And so I went down the rabbit hole and I put it on my list and I can't wait to tell you all the details and then discuss. Let's do it. So you have you heard of Sheila Davalu? I have not. I hadn't either, which for me was odd. Rare, yeah. Yeah, most of these cases I've at least heard the name. So Sheila was born in 1969 in Iran but she and her family moved to the United States in the mid-1970s, just prior to the Iranian Revolution when Ayatollah Khomeini took over. During the time she was a child and when she was there, there was a lot of political turmoil, and so she experienced a lot of firsthand violence. Witnessed bombings was a part of serious violence, and she says that, you know, rightfully so, that this really traumatized her for, for the course of her life, and she would later on relive some of these traumatic events. 
So Sheila came here with her family and by all accounts had a good background, had a good family, had a nice childhood after she left Iran. Sheila is well-educated and again, comes from a good family. She has a degree in biochemistry and she, after graduating, accepted a good position as a research scientist at Purdue Pharma. So her background's a little different than uh, some of our, or some of the usual female offenders. Sheila was married twice. Her first husband divorced her after learning of her affair with Paul Christos, who would later go on to become husband number two. But I think you will agree that husband number one was the luckier of the two men. Okay. At the time, he probably didn't think so because Mm -hmm. he was cheated on. But Mm -hmm. when I tell you the story, you might feel differently. So this well-educated woman, she's married twice. All right, let's fast forward a little bit to her relationship with her second husband, Paul Christos. On March 23rd, 2003, Sheila and her husband, Paul, were spending a casual day at their home in Pleasantville, New York. I'm sorry, how long were they married at this point? They were married three years. <laughs> okay. The relationship <laughs> is staggering a bit. and uh, But Sheila suggests, you know, that they kind of play a sexual game that day to spice things up a little bit. Ooh, do yeah. tell. <laughs> <laughs> so she gets out the blindfold and handcuffs and suggest they kind of do a thing like, uh, I'm going to touch you with different objects. So you, you know, maybe this will be like a feather. Or, you mm-hmm. know, you've maybe heard of this game a little bit. And so Paul was like, okay, <laughs> you know, because <laughs> who doesn't want to play that kind of game? <laughs> and, you know, it was an attempt by Sheila to reconnect a little bit because they hadn't been connecting so much. So Paul wore a blindfold and he was waiting to hear or waiting to uh, feel which object Sheila was going to touch him with. And it turns out that object would be a knife <laughs> because Sheila stabbed him in the chest. What? Yes. While he was blindfolded, she stabbed him in the chest and he cried out in pain, obviously. Understandably. Understandably. And she apologized quickly and and started this frenzied moment where Paul is going, oh my God, call 911, call 911. You know, uh, you stabbed me. And she's going, okay, I'm, I'm going to call 911. It was almost like she didn't know what she had done. And that was kind of how she would explain it later on. But so they wind up in the house for a while. And Sheila says she called 911, but that 911 said we're busy with other things. <laughs> Sorry. I don't believe that one. I know. I'm, I, I'm, tr- I'm trying to hold a straight face because it's important, but so it's kind of unbelievable. So yeah. she says, I called 911, but they said, I'm sorry, we're busy. We'll get to you kind of later. And so he's like, oh my God, well, you have to take me to the hospital then, clearly. So Sheila does. She puts him in the car and... They drive to uh, Westchester Medical Center, which Mm -hmm. is in New York. Mm -hmm. But Sheila doesn't drive to the emergency room parking lot. She goes right past it and pulls into the parking lot of the psych unit, (laughs) which is bizarre, right? So she's driven him to the hospital, but she's passed by, okay? She parks the car in that parking lot, and she goes into the back seat, apparently, again, and we'll discuss what happened during this time later, but she stabbed him in the chest, again, in the parking lot. Oh, he was in the back seat? He was in the back seat, I guess, oh, laying wow. down, or you know what I mean? So He's she brought the knife with her? Brought the knife with her, and she stabs him in the chest again. And Paul fights back, and obviously, uh, he, he grabbed the knife, and he threw it, and some people actually saw the incident. 
And they rushed over to help Paul. And Sheila got in the car and sped away. With Paul left on the sidewalk? Yes. But Paul was next to the hospital. So they got Paul to the hospital. But Sheila doesn't know at this point. She's taken off and she doesn't know what Paul's condition is, Mm -hmm. right? Because she stabbed him twice in the chest. Yeah. And one of uh, the injuries was very close. It was either super close to the heart or nicked the heart. We're talking about possibly fatal wounds Mm -hmm. here. So Paul's taken to the ER, but Sheila is quickly arrested. She decides to talk. So she talks during the interrogation without a lawyer, which is surprising. We know that in interrogation, some people will either say no or they'll demand a lawyer, which is their right. So she waived her right. She waived her right, Mm -hmm. yeah, and decided to talk and... She seemed frazzled, you know, she seemed confused, but this was her first. So they're like trying to get an idea of what's going on here. So Sheila first says that Paul came home from work having already been stabbed. (laughs) Like he came home with a chest wound (laughs) and they were like, you know what? And this is when they kind of reveal that they have Paul's version because Paul survived the attack. Mm -hmm. They got him to the hospital in time and he lived. And they say, Paul told us that you actually stabbed him. So Sheila changes the story because now we have, you know, now this this idea that Paul was stabbed ahead of time is not going to fly. Mm-hmm. So Sheila goes into another story. And the story is pretty much that she accidentally stabbed him during this game. And she's like, like, she explains it almost like at first, like Paul just moved into the knife, right? <laughs> like, and why she's holding a knife during this game is beyond me. Okay. But then she, you know, she, it was a ridiculous story and she admitted that that was pretty much a lie. So the interrogation painted Sheila into a corner of lies. And I think she said ultimately that she, she stabbed him. She doesn't know why. She had almost like a post-traumatic stress incident and she just had like basically an episode of violence that she could not really explain. But it happened twice. Yes, but she will explain that. So the way she explained the second time, um, because that's what they said. Well, okay, you, you stabbed him once. Maybe, maybe that you had some momentary lapse yeah. and you just freaked out, or you know, maybe you see this guy tied up and all of a sudden your game, you know, yeah. traumatized you. But why did you stab him the second time in the parking lot? And what she says is that they got into an altercation in the parking lot. She, you know, he was yelling at her, and she basically says that he took the knife and she thought he was going to stab her. Like she basically thought she was in danger. So then. she's claiming self defense for the second stab. Pretty much. And I mean, her her excuse is, well, look, I know it sounds crazy, but why would I drive my hut? Why wouldn't I just keep stabbing him? He was t- right. He was bound. So why wouldn't I just stab him and finish the job at home? Like, why would I drive him to the hospital? Mm-hmm. I uncuffed him. I drove him to the hospital. I made sure that he got, you know, got medical attention. At least I was trying to do that. So if I wanted to kill him, why wouldn't I just kill him when I had the opportunity to do so? Because you're crazy. we need like a little like a little you know something like that okay so detectives are you know they're really working to try to figure this out like you know is sheila is this is she a brutal premeditated murderer or is she just yeah a little nutty did she snap okay appropriately on snapped i would say (laughs) so they get sheila's cell phone and that's i mean usually a lot of these investigations what year was this and i'm sorry he probably said it so cell phones were available. They were available. Yeah. And probably people also didn't know what 
authorities could do with cell mm-hmm. phones, which is good. Now we all know, right? Like yeah. They can trace your phone calls. They can yeah. get your text. You can't delete anything. Mm-hmm. But at that time, I don't think people knew. So they get a hold of Sheila's cell phone and saw a phone number to someone named Nelson. And they quickly discovered Nelson Sessler, a co-worker of Sheila's at Purdue Pharma. And they contacted him and he had some shocking information. So what's the information? Nelson said that he and Sheila had dated for about a year Mm -hmm. on and off and only had, I guess, split maybe the year before. So they dated for about a year and probably had split for a little bit. But then you'll hear later they got back together. So he's claiming they were having an affair pretty much. Oh, no. She was married. No, here's the interesting part. Nelson says he had no idea Sheila was married. Yeah, so I'm saying... She was married. They were having an affair, but he didn't know she was married. Yes. Oh, okay. So it's not like he's admitting to having gotcha. an affair. He's okay. saying, oh, I dated Sheila. Yeah, yeah, I know yeah. her. And they're like, well, you know, she was married at the yeah. time. And he's like, Got what it. are you talking about? <laughs> and so you would think, is he lying? You know, uh, but the truth is, and this is very odd for this year, she would go to his house, but he would also stay with her on weekends and stay overnight at her shared home with Paul at various times. And this is how Sheila did this. Sheila would tell Paul that she had a mentally ill brother, which was true, (laughs) and that he needed to stay with Sheila at times, but would react very badly if he knew that she had gotten married. And so she needed time with her brother alone. Oh, God. I'm, I'm not even kidding. And so Paul would leave the marital residence during those times and go to a hotel or stay with friends. While he thought this was a little strange, he said... I don't know. I thought it was weird. Yes, but I was trying to be a supportive husband. If she has his brother with a serious mental illness and he can't handle another man in the house or maybe, you know, what it is, I just was being the good husband. And she would literally purge the house then. She would go through and take all the photos down and make crazy. it. crazy. This is a crazy story. I mean, this yeah. is crazy. We've heard of people having affairs, but yeah. never in this way. Why so, not just get a hotel room? Because, well, the argument here would obviously oh, be that he would say, why can't I go to your house? Yes, but it also, I mean, this has to be a marker as well. Why not just spend more time at his house? Why not make up an excuse that your mentally ill brother lives at yeah. your house? Yeah. Why have your husband leave so weird. and manipulate the situation? How would you get away with that? It's crazy. But that, and why? So, <laughs> well, so yeah. the question is, why do that? What does it say? You know, we talk about people who like to push the envelope and mm. like to be smarter, or in control, or I don't know if you can look at this as being indicative of what type of personality she has, because they're, like you said. Or you mean what personality disorder she has? <laughs> yeah, I guess that would be more of the, yeah, yeah. Okay. So this is how she had this affair with Nelson. The police were obviously floored by the information. They're floored again that Nelson is saying, no, I stayed with her and this is what he said look she did not have a husband i stayed at her house and they're like no no she did and then she later revealed how she would trick nelson so sheila decided you know they arrested sheila clearly and she took her case to trial and she used a defense of mental illness and she claimed that she had a dissociative episode in that moment and it stemmed from PTSD from the years of growing up in a war zone in Iran in the 1970s. So she was claiming temporary insanity? I guess that would be okay, it, yes. so that she's not yes, saying, temp- I'm insane. It was just like I had a, an episode. Definitely temporary, yes. And again, she's just saying, look, I've been subjected to such violence. And, and there are times when I've been triggered and snapped. And I snapped at this moment. So was she on trial for stabbing the two times? Because I would wonder if she's also using self-defense. 
Or were they only charging her with that first stabbing, right? Because she stabbed him twice, but she's giving a different excuse for each. She is giving a different excuse. And both excuses would come into play at trial. Okay. So she she initially explained one as a dissociative Mm -hmm. disorder and the second one as... You know, she explained that later on as an episode kind of of what she thought like uh, self-defense. But mm-hmm. I'm not sure now that I think back if maybe at trial she didn't just say that she, you know, snapped. It's and easier I, for her just to I'm lump not sure them she, together. Yeah, so. I have to. I would have to look back mm-hmm. to see if she used that as the same excuse. Mm-hmm. But she definitely later on and in her interview said that the second time was confused. We were fighting mm-hmm. and I feel like he was going to try to hurt me. And in an interview I saw... She all of a sudden, so she did an interview also with Pierce Morgan, you know, mm-hmm. he does a killer yep. women show. She all of a sudden pulls out this explanation that, well, Paul had a history of also hitting me at times. And, mm-hmm. you know, there was there was some violence that we chose not to discuss. This was completely new information. Pierce Morgan is like, I've, we've never heard this before. He went back and then questioned the police officers Everyone, this never came out at trial. Mm-hmm. This was never brought in, in during the investigation. This is a completely new assertion by Sheila Davalu in, in one of her first interviews. AKA which, a lie. <laughs> I mean, I'm going to go with this is a clear lie, yeah, I okay. think so. And people also describe Paul as the sweetest teddy bear. Mm-hmm. This is the guy who leaves because he's trying to be Aww. considerate. I yeah. mean, I think this was also a lie. Now, here's what's surprising. Paul is called to the witness stand, of course, during Sheila's trial. He's the victim, Mm -hmm. but he defends Sheila. He comes to her aid, saying that he also agreed, like his wife was not violent towards him. He believed that she had some type of episode that she snapped and that he did not blame her for what happened. You know, I think it was a surprise because Mm -hmm. he's the victim, but he was extremely supportive. So he testified for the defense? He had to testify for the prosecution yeah. because he, he is the, the witness and yeah. is the victim. But in doing so, he also came to her aid. So, I mean, he's a prosecution witness who was also favorable. Did for they the ask him about the situation in the parking lot of the hospital? Like, I wonder if his story was the same that they got into a struggle or whether or not. No, she just... they asked him and they did ask him and he just said that she stabbed me again. Yeah. OK, he he denied that there was that. He did not detail a okay. struggle. Okay. No, he did not. OK, so Paul takes the stand. Sheila, you know, has a full trial. Did and she take the stand? She did not take the stand. OK. And the outcome here is that Sheila was found guilty of attempted murder and sentenced to 25 years with no possibility of early parole. Wow. This was the harshest possible sentence. This was the harshest possible sentence she could have received for the crime. Wow. Now, it's interesting because maybe some thought this was the end of the story. But given what they found out about Sheila and Nelson, the police thought that perhaps this wasn't Sheila's first attempt at murder. So there is actually more to this story, a lot more to this story. Okay. And I wanted to go back because you, uh, we also said that this was the harshest possible sentence, which was true. Mm. So there are two things about this. At her sentencing, Paul again came to her aid and advocated and asked for a lesser sentence. Yeah. But, and then one step even more shocking, Paul's family came to her sentencing, his family, and also asked for a lesser sentence for her, saying that they loved her. She was a great daughter-in-law. Do they have kids? No. Okay. 
They also, I, I thought this was interesting because they knew at this point that she was having an affair for so long, but they still came to her aid. And even with She didn't those, have any priors, right? That's a harsh sentence to not have victim impact statements and no priors. And being it was a, a woman, very harsh sentence. So in one of the interviews she did, she said the same thing. She's like, well, I, I totally understand why I was given, you know, I fully expected to be given a, a long prison sentence. She's like, but I didn't expect to be given the harshest sentence. I think there are people who've committed murders where someone actually died and they're given less time, which is very true. Mm -hmm. So I, th I agree. 25 years is harsh, but then you have to look at it this way. She stabbed him twice. And he very well could have died. Yeah, she wanted him to die, it seems. Well, did she or didn't she? That becomes one of the key questions. Mm -hmm. So we have this question, but regardless, Sheila gets 25 years. She's not going to be given parole. And this time is to be served in New York. So is that the end of the story? No, it's not. So the police learn about this connection now with Sheila and Nelson. And they wonder, does this have anything to do with another case of a murder of a woman named Anna Lisa Raimundo? So who is Anna Lisa and how does she connect to this case? Okay. Anna Lisa also worked at Purdue Pharma with Nelson and with Sheila. Anna Lisa was smart, beautiful, young graduate from Harvard. She was working in pharmaceutical research for the company. She was also the woman Nelson Sessler was dating around the same time as Sheila. And he left Sheila for her. And pretty quickly after they began dating, she and Nelson became engaged. So now Sheila is the one on the outs here. So Nelson and Annalisa are moving their relationship forward. And but, I'm sorry, this all happened prior to the stabbing of her husband. Correct. Okay, thank you. So this is all okay. um, in, and I'll give you the dates, but mm -hmm. this is all, we're talking about a time frame in 2002 when she stabbed her husband in 2003. Okay, so she and Nelson become engaged. But not too long after Nelson broke it off with Sheila, because there's some overlap between Annalisa and Sheila, Annalisa was stabbed to death in her home, a brutal stabbing. And I mean, we just, you know, yeah. we've been covering some of these, but it was it was very brutal. And she was also bludgeoned in the back of her skull. Mm -hmm. And I did see some of the photos from the crime scene because I was watching this episode of, uh, was it Snapped or mm -hmm. Piers Morgan? So I saw some of the crime scenes. There's a lot of blood. The blood went outside the home on the staircase. Wow. So she's bludgeoned in the back of the skull. There was a 911 call, a female who said in a very like convoluted voice that she thought a man was attacking her neighbor. Like it was kind of a 911 call where she goes, there's a man, he's attacking my neighbor. Um, and it really was. It was, mm -hmm. it was muffled. It was an odd way. And she provided an address for the attack, but then she also gave several different addresses, changing the address like three times or something like that. But it was enough information for police officers to find Annalise's condo and obviously to find this brutal... And she was at home by herself. Yes, she was. This, and, and her murder took place, sorry, I should have said before, the murder took place on November 8th, 2002. Who who was the caller? Did they ever find out? Uh, this is going to become a very interesting part of the story. So it was the only thing they could determine at that time because the caller didn't leave a name was that it was absolutely a female. So that's it. Oh, so it was clearly Sheila. Well, <laughs> Amy, you smart cookie, you. Was it or wasn't it? That is going to come into play. Um, but that's probably the initial thought so well that was nice of her 
<laughs> well, was it nice of her? Because there's they say the reason she actually called and said it was a man oh. attacking was to take any focus off anyone who thought they saw mm -hmm. a woman. But we'll get into that. Amy's stealing my thunder because she's smart. Okay, so Nelson was initially the suspect, of course, because who's going to be the suspect of a vicious stabbing, yeah. a personal crime, as we've talked about in the home? It's going to be the person closest. But what happened was that they were able to confirm pretty quickly that he was working during the time of Annalisa's murder. And so they turned to Sheila Davalu. And it took some time to build their case. But they did wind up charging her with murder. But it she wasn't for five or six okay. years. So she would have gotten away with that if she never stabbed her husband. Yes. Interesting. <laughs> this is this is where we get, we're going to go off. So here here's what's happening. Okay, so... Sheila was charged for the murder of Annalisa Raimundo five to six years after Annalisa's murder. But the cops were, they were moving slowly. They had some evidence they were trying to piece together. They knew they didn't have to rush because guess what? Sheila's serving a sentence already of 25 years and she's in Bedford Hills Correctional Facility mm -hmm. in New York. And so they're not in a rush because she's not going anywhere, right? Mm -hmm. So they were criticized for taking so long. But they said, look, we, we understand that criticism. We didn't come to her exactly right away. We were working also with another police department, and we wanted to have the best case possible. And so, they knew they had the time. Exactly. Yeah. So what's the rush? Okay. So Sheila is charged with the murder, and Sheila decides to do something very interesting at her trial. She decides to represent herself. You know the saying, right? The the person who uh, the person who represents himself as a fool for a client is that it? Sounds right. Sounds about the attorney right, yeah. who represents himself as a fool for yeah. a client. But it should be. If have not. you encountered or have you had any cases that you've been really like done the deep dive on where someone represented themselves? No, because no. Okay. no one's that foolish. Well, what she said was that you know what I didn't do so well the last time around. So she's claiming she's innocent of this stabbing. Oh yeah. Yeah, no, she's she's claiming full-on innocence. And I'm going to talk about the evidence against her and what happened at trial. So on January 4th, 2012, the criminal case against Sheila commenced. And she, again, was representing herself. So let's talk about some of the evidence. So first, there's the 911 call, which did not come from a neighbor. Rather, it came from a location that was blocks away. So mm -hmm. initially, it was someone who said, I'm, her, I'm a neighbor and I can see a man. So they find that, no, they came from blocks away and they canvassed the neighborhood, by the way, door to door, yeah. put out flyers, everything, could not find the caller. All right, we'll come back to that. And then there's the ace in the hole. The call is, uh, you know, indicative, but here's the ace in the hole. A forensic analysis found one spot of blood in Annalisa's bathroom sink that did not belong to Annalisa. So here's your DNA link, because it turns out that that DNA belonged to Sheila Davalu. And she's going to still claim she's innocent. Oh, she sure is. Can she explain how that blood got there? Well, she's, she's going to try. So okay. we're gonna, I'm going to give you her explanation. So Westchester detectives went to Stanford police to work together because Annalise's crime happened in Stanford. Mm -hmm. uh, Sheila Davalu was convicted of Paul's case in Westchester. And when the Westchester police heard the 911 call, they were like, that's Sheila Davalu. We know we've been working with her. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like we know exactly who that is. Yeah, but that's not scientific. No, it's not. Also, on the day Annalisa was murdered, Sheila left around lunch and took a very long lunch break <laughs> around the time of the murder. What are you thinking so far? It doesn't look good. <laughs> no, not at all. Paul, her first husband, is also a witness at this trial, and he tells a really interesting story that his wife, so Sheila, had been telling him about some work drama 
And the work drama that she had been telling him was of a love triangle at work. And it was a man named Jack was choosing a woman named Annalisa over a woman named Melissa. Oh, okay. So it's a story that she's telling of a love triangle that involves her and and Nelson and Annalisa, but she's telling it to her husband. They didn't stay together when she got incarcerated, no. did they? Okay. No. So Paul is telling the court about this and people are going, okay. Mm-hmm. Paul also told the court about these, you know, weekend <laughs> trips that he had to take. And he told the court how Sheila stabbed him. So Nelson also testifies because he's a central figure here. He is the one that this is supposedly all for, right? So they said that she stabbed her husband because she wanted to get rid of him. And, and they were Nelson. allowed, well, they were also allowed to use that crime in trial because it was relevant. Yes, right? it was relevant. So they were allowed to use it. So he, Nelson testifies about how Sheila deceived him, how he had no idea about the marriage. He also stated that he was ending his relationship with Sheila when he and Annalisa got more serious. But after the murder, he started to see Sheila again because he didn't have any idea. Nobody knew right away that Sheila had killed Annalisa. And so Sheila comes in and she's... So what did they think? It was just a random... They had no idea. They had no evidence and they, they didn't have... I don't know if they had suspects, but they had no proof. It wasn't until Sheila stabbed her husband that they had any idea of what happened. So Good for them for tying those together. I thought it was a great tie together. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of sick if you think about it because Sheila comes in and they start seeing each other again and she's like comforting Nelson. Like you lost, you know, I'm sorry that you lost Annalisa. Sounds like I, we have a sociopath on our hands. Yeah, I want to be here for you and, and whatnot. And so, yeah, we're getting into a, a kind of an icky realm here. So at trial, there was a voice analysis expert who said it was Sheila's voice on the 911 tape but we know that this is not an exact science. Mm-mm. Is it? A, a voice analysis, is that? It's not a junk science, is it? Or is it just not an exact, you know? Um, I don't think it's been classified as a junk science. I don't think it's used often enough. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think it's made it into that category. Not like there's a criteria to be quote unquote junk science, but it's not common. Right. No, it's not common. Definitely not validated. It's not validated. I just, I didn't think it was a junk science, yeah. but it's not exact science. And This isn't conclusive evidence because Mm -hmm. there were also people who came in and said that they didn't think it sounded like Sheila. Mm -hmm. So, of course, I've listened like a hundred times and Mm -hmm. I think it sounds like Sheila. So Pierce Morgan goes like, I feel like that's you. And later on, the jury, when they did an interview, said that Sheila, they might not have had an opinion about it had Sheila not represented herself because they got to hear her voice throughout the trial Uh so much. (laughs) Stupid (laughs) Sheila. Not a good She just keeps nailing her own coffin shut. Kind of. Okay, so Sheila disputes the DNA at trial, saying that it was the only piece of evidence to be resubmitted to the laboratory. So what she's saying is that it actually left the crime lab at some point and was returned later. So she's arguing that it was contaminated. Uh, so she thinks it was a setup. Like, does she think the police are trying to... <laughs> she didn't. So here's the interesting. She's not arguing it's a setup. She's arguing that somehow because it left... Well, no, she does imply that. So, I guess it would be both, right? Contaminated, but who would contaminated it? Probably. She's like, why is that? Why did that ever leave the crime lab? Which is an interesting question. Uh, I haven't heard the well, answer what, yeah, to it. Yeah, I was going to say, what's the answer? Did they ex- like do a cross-examination on a witness on that? I don't know what the answer yeah. is. I, I don't recall seeing what the answer was, to be honest. So she says that it left the lab. It's probably cross, uh, or is it cross-contamination? No, it's contaminated. Mm-hmm. Why, she questions, why would this be the only piece of evidence to you know leave the lab? And she's like, obviously, because it was the most damning piece. But then she also says, 
and I'm not sure if she said at trial, but she did say in the interview that she was actually at Annalisa's house once for a housewarming party. For which how is, long before that? It was a year. Oh, and come on. People clean their bathrooms. They certainly do. It wouldn't have been And there. look, she actually said that I was there, but I didn't even go in that bathroom. So she's not Stupid. even helping herself by yeah, saying that Stupid. very much. But she's arguing, again, that there is this issue of contamination and that mm. yeah, I think she is implying that there is some type of setup here. Why would they have taken that out? So what happens? She defends herself. I watched. She's a smart woman, just mm-hmm. so you know. She's not, I mean, you know, she's seemingly made a lot of dumb moves, but she doesn't come across that way. I wouldn't say she was, you know, the best attorney, but I also wouldn't say she came across as the worst. Mm-hmm. She had some interesting points, mm-hmm. you know, but in the end, on February 10th, 2012, the jury found Sheila guilty of murder and sentenced her to 50 years in prison. To begin after her 25-year sentence in New York is complete. So essentially, that's a 75-year sentence combined. And like I said, one of the jurors said the strongest piece of evidence against her was her voice. (laughs) Yes, because they heard her. So what happens now? Okay, Sheila's convicted. Sheila still maintains her innocence and is confident that she will be exonerated. So she maintains her innocence for Annalisa's stabbing. She maintains her innocence for Annalisa's murder. Mm -hmm. But remember in the beginning I said, this woman claims she is guilty for a vicious crime because she says she she assumes responsibility. She assumes responsibility for the stabbing of her husband, saying that she wasn't trying to kill him, Mm -hmm. but she definitely stabbed him. She was wrong. She doesn't know what happened. She deserves to be punished. Mm -hmm. So... Yes on one, no on the other. So she's given two recent interviews. One was on Snapped and one on Deadly Women with Pierce Morgan. And these are the first two interviews that she's ever done. Mm -hmm. But is this the end of the story? I'm assuming not. Fine. (laughs) (laughs) So in 2017, police visit Sheila again to ask about the murder of a woman named Nancy Smith, who was also a former co-worker of Sheila Davalos. At Purdue Pharma? Well, either way, it's just interesting that people around her keep dying. Yes, it is. The murder happened about a year prior to Annalisa's murder on December 5th, 2001, and the 32-year-old Nancy was stabbed to death in her home. Who was she dating? So police go in and they're investigating this crime. And one of the things they saw at the crime scene, other than this poor bludgeoned woman, was a calendar. And on her calendar, on one of the dates, there was a reference to Nelson, CT, like Nelson, Connecticut. Mm. And so the police thought, here it is. Oh, my God, this woman must have dated Nelson at some point as well. And maybe this thing with Nelson was actually going on a lot before. They well, think they found this I'm link. assuming they called Nelson. They were like, hey, you know this chick, huh? Of course. <laughs> and he says no. Okay. And so, you know, and, and doesn't want to be involved in this crazy mm-hmm. scenario anymore and is trying to move on with his life and obviously was pretty traumatized as well. But so they actually find out, it turns out that Nelson, Connecticut, was a band that Nancy was going to see a show for. Do you remember the group Nelson? Oh, of course. Yes. The two blonde <laughs> Yeah, hair. yeah, yeah. I was like thinking about it. The Nelson brothers. It. Yeah, I can't live without your yeah. love and affection. Uh-huh. Right? I'm not going to sing. But so it turns out that that was actually a reference just to the band that she was That's going to so see. That's so funny. Police went to visit Sheila. And Sheila said she had no idea who Nancy was. Mm -hmm. She didn't recognize her at all. They're like, well, you work together. She's like, we worked at a huge company. I didn't never ran into this woman. I don't know this woman. Nelson says that he didn't know her. 
And so after investigating the case, the DNA also did not match Sheila. So the police in the end could not find a link, although they are not convinced that that means that Sheila is innocent. Were they able to confirm that Nelson was in fact in Connecticut on that date? I mean, the band Nelson, not (laughs) Nelson. I'm sorry. That was too good. No, I'm serious. Yes, though. they were. Okay, they were so able. then it's that, that's yes. just, that's done then. No, they were. Just a silly coincidence. But it is kind of, uh, I mean, it is But why would a, Nelson lie and say he didn't know her? No, they don't you know think what he I mean? lied. Yeah. They just think what, what we're thinking is that it's still a little bit odd, right? Mm-hmm. That this woman, you know, death keeps happening around this yeah. woman. Yeah. Okay, so that is the end of her story. There's no connection there. So, you know, I watched her on on these episodes and she is proclaiming her innocence, says that she's working on her case. So I guess we should get to our opinions here. Amy, you want me to go first? Sure. All right. So I think that Sheila is guilty Mm -hmm. of both crimes. And I think that she has been appropriately sentenced for the second crime. As we just discussed, I think that 25 years was probably a little too harsh, given that they didn't know what else was going on. So just on the on the surface, she was she did receive the harshest sentence. And I have to wonder if part of the reason was what we've talked about with women Mm -hmm. who look bad because they're having an affair. So was the sentence harsh because it was just about the crime or was it also because she's a bad woman, right? She's she's suffering the gender stereotype. Mm -hmm. Given what I know now, I'm sure it's a very appropriate sentence, but it seemed a little bit harsh on the on the face. Mm-hmm. How about you? I agree with you on both points. I think she is guilty, guilty, guilty. Okay, and you, but you agree, twenty five years. Yeah, because you seemed a little surprised by that too. Well, I think twenty five to life is harsh for most people. You know, I think we over incarcerate and over sentence people generally in our country, especially for not even if it's attempted murder. I mean. 20, maybe have 25 on the back end, you know, let her be eligible for parole sometimes before that. Let's give this woman a chance. As, right. as it turns out, she's not someone who needs to be who needs to be in society, clearly. <laughs> but looking at just the facts of that case, I think that's a very harsh sentence. I don't find here's the problem. I can't say that I don't find Sheila totally intriguing. Yeah, I am not sure why, you know, that we get stuck on certain cases. Mm-hmm. When I watched the episodes, I found myself a little mesmerized. She is truly confident. I mean, truly Mm well-spoken. And she is so adamant about her wrongful conviction that you almost believe her. I had a similar feeling to when, not not Melanie's case. I know I'm Mm going to, we always reference Melanie's case. But I actually had a similar feeling to watching her as when I watched the interrogation or one of the initial interrogations of Jodi Arias. And Jody Arias, if you didn't know she was lying, you wouldn't know she was lying. Yep. Mm-hmm. She was so good. She was so convincing. She was so... That just shows us how bad we can judge people's truthfulness. You can't. You, you know, probably... we're, not, we're not good at that as humans. So what I would really love to do, uh, I couldn't help it, the ding, ding, ding. Get you on the show? <laughs> I w- Wait, you're laughing. So actually what I was going to oh. say is oh, okay. I would love to have a conversation with Sheila Davalu in which I could challenge her on some of these issues. Call her. Right. So Sheila is in Bedford Hills. She's a local case. She's obviously open now to doing some interviews, Mm -hmm. but I also thought of her, and I know you're probably going to shake your head, but I also thought of her for direct appeal because she is filing her, she's in the appeals process now, 
And she adamantly maintains that she did not kill Annalisa and that she can provide some proof or some uh, reasonable doubt as to why she did not. Mm -hmm. And she's looking for, you know, to tell her story and for someone to believe her. Let's do it. We have nothing else going on. (laughs) (laughs) So Amy and I are, for people who listen to Direct Appeal, Amy and I are considering cases for season two. And I have one other case that I would love to do, but the woman has not yet agreed to participate. So... We'll wait on that one. But (laughs) this one is my second one of interest. So if Sheila or anyone else is listening who knows Sheila, please have her reach out to... You should just reach out to her, Megan. Okay. You know what? Done. I'm going to give her a call. All right. We'll update everyone. And uh, that's everything that we have for today. So thank you so much for listening. Thank you, Amy. Thank you, Megan. We'll see you all next time on Women in Crime. Women in Crime is written and hosted by Megan Sachs and Amy Schlossberg. Our producer and editor is James Varga. Our music is composed by Dessert Media. If you enjoy the show, you can get access to ad-free episodes, exclusive AMAs, and other bonus content for a small monthly contribution through Patreon. To find out more, visit patreon.com slash womenincrime. Sources for today's episode I used included an episode of Snapped, Killer Women with Piers Morgan, and articles from the Stanford Advocate. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.